As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Prepare our hearts, Holy One, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your good and life-giving will. In Christ, amen. Our first scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. God, we give you thanks for all the gifts of your word, for its challenge, its grace, and its love. We ask that your spirit would come upon us as we look for the wisdom in the words we have heard this morning and seek direction and purpose and joy in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dorothy Day lived in the 20th century during the time religious historians call the social gospel revival. She founded the Catholic Worker Movement and the social justice-focused journal by the same name. She was responsible for a dramatic increase in public understanding around the realities of poverty and homelessness and was deeply involved in nonviolent direct action to advance the interests of people who live on the margins. That's about all I remembered from my college religion course, and it's a description that I admit in my younger days led to some one-dimensional assumptions about Dorothy Day, including the possibility, the possibility that she probably was not a whole lot of fun. <laughs> but later in life, I did some more reading, and my assumptions have changed. I think Dorothy Day must have been a fascinating and entertaining person to know. 
Her early life is marked by a series of radical, sensual curiosities that she sought to satisfy by just about every form of experimentation. She was a published author, and she would write about many of her life's journeys in detail, and later she would wish to find every published copy and have it burned. She always lived a life of service to others, many of whom were people living in the most desperate of circumstances. But early in life, she did this work unhappily. She found serving others in desperate circumstances to be overwhelming and a source of despair and hopelessness about the world. And then, in midlife, she found faith in God and began to connect that faith with her work of service. And her spiritual life opened the door to really loving, not just serving others, and allowed her to find joy and meaning in doing so. Along the way, she made deep connections with other people and with the world around her. One admirer later wrote, Dorothy had an enormous capacity for close friendships, each one of them unique, and she had many, many of them. And her love for the created world was not limited to people who suffer. She was moved to the depths of her being by reading novels by Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. So much did she love literature. Her love of beauty was so great that it was not uncommon for friends to find her lost in ecstasy while listening to opera on the radio. All of that background suggests to me that Dorothy Day's life story is one of a person with deep yearnings, a person who never settled. She was willing to take big chances and try new things. She left no stone unturned in life. She searched for meaning and purpose and also for joy. I have to imagine that she amassed great wisdom in the course of her life and that there was never a dull moment if you were her companion. And the heart of her story is that she cared deeply for other people because of her intense love for God. It's stewardship season here at Knox. This time of year, we always throw around jokes suggesting that no one likes this time of year and who would want to be on a committee that has to ask people for money and do I really like preaching these stewardship sermons? <laughs> well, the reality is that most of those assumptions are just wrong. During this time of year, we share amazing stories about Knox members who have been inspired by God to do wonderful things. Our stewardship committee is a joyful group, new and old members of Knox alike. They've had a great time thinking about how to inspire you to give in this season. As for me, I love being a part of telling stewardship stories. I love it because of something that Dorothy Day's life teaches us. 
We spend so much of our lives achieving and accumulating and trying to advance ourselves in the world and never feeling quite complete. But if we are wise, we eventually learn that life's deepest joys come when we learn to be generous and when we focus our attention on helping someone else. We find happiness when that great generosity and service is connected to our love for God. There's a Bible story about this, one that may be familiar to many of you, but that you might not have thought about in quite the way I'm going to invite you to think about it today. I remember it being one of the first stories I learned in Sunday school. It's the calling of Jesus' disciples. Each of the four Gospels include a version of this story, where Jesus approaches perfect strangers who are going about their business, and in very short order, he convinces them to leave their regular life behind and to go where he is leading. In the words of my childhood Bible in the old Revised Standard Version, it was, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I remember not only the gender-exclusive translation of my childhood, but also the classic interpretation. I always figured that when Jesus invited disciples to fish for people, he was talking about conversion. Come with me, and together we'll start a church. We'll tell people about Jesus, and we won't rest from our fishing until our nets are full to bursting. Now, there is, of course, nothing wrong with telling people about Jesus, but the idea that following Jesus is all about getting more followers is deeply flawed. It has led to immense human suffering, whether we're talking about the Crusades or forced conversions of indigenous people. And I can assure you from my experience every day that the constant drive for more church members is a miserable way to think about one's ministry. There must be some reason for us doing this other than to count heads on Sunday morning. And I wonder if the story of the first disciples, if read differently, might tell us about a goal that is more satisfying. So I thought again about Jesus' invitation to fish for people, and I wondered, what if I had been among those first disciples? What would I have thought? What if I were making a living, minding my own business, trying to catch some fish, and Jesus came and asked me, come, help me amass a huge crowd of followers so that I may become really popular? I don't think I would have gone along. So why did those first disciples go? Well, my hunch is that their motivation and his invitation was quite different than I originally thought. I wonder if, like the Dorothy Days of the world, those first fishermen were searching, longing, yearning, hoping for some kind of joy that they had not yet found in life. And I wonder if Jesus gave them what they needed by inviting them to serve others. 
What if the invitation to fish for people is not about how many followers one can attract, but about how I can turn my life outward? How to turn it from survival and accumulation toward the advancement of other people. I believe that Jesus began his ministry in this way by calling his disciples and inviting them into service, to find themselves by serving others. And Jesus' ministry ends in the very same way with another invitation to service. Our second scripture lesson today came from after Jesus' resurrection, according to the Gospel of John. In that story, Jesus appears on a beach on the Sea of Galilee. There he makes a simple breakfast of fish and bread for his disciples. He approaches Simon Peter, the one who only days before had denied knowing him three times. Can you imagine the guilt and shame Peter must have been carrying? In a matter, in a manner, clearly meant to recall that prior sin and to forgive and heal Peter and to send him into the rest of his life, Jesus approaches him on the beach and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And when Peter says, yes, I love you, Jesus invites him three times, feed my sheep. This is how Jesus heals Peter. Feed my sheep. Go, serve others. Do you want to heal the brokenness in your own life? Jesus' answer is to serve others. In seeking their salvation, you find your own. Dorothy Day lived a life of dramatic generosity, and yet her acts of service always started small and personally, and she advised, advised others around her to do the same. Meet the need that is before you. See God in every neighbor. God loves the drug addict or the homeless person just as deeply as the high achiever. Love wherever you can, and the life you save may be your own. It might seem strange to step from stories of Christ to Dorothy Day's example and right into our church's stewardship campaign, but the reality is that for most of us, a place like this is where generosity begins. We show up on a Saturday morning to pack food bags for hungry children. We mentor a child and meet someone whose life is completely different from ours. We teach our children by example that we give the first portion of our income back to God. Generous living is grounded in faith. The easiest place to find joy is in helping someone else, and loving others is the clearest way we love God. These lessons begin at church. 
So I am not at all shy about asking you to make the commitments that help the church to thrive. Everyone who is a part of this community should make a commitment and give. Knox Presbyterian Church relies on the annual gifts of not a wealthy few, but hundreds of people who make three and four and five figure gifts to fund the expenses of our ministries. In a way, every bit as practical as your very own household, we need your gifts to grow over time so that the church can keep up with inflation and pay our expenses and try new things. This year, we seek an average increase of 5% in our giving, and we know that some are on a fixed income, so we pray that others who can will increase a little bit more. And we have a goal this year of adding 50, that's five zero, new pledges. Pledge cards are in your mail and available here at the church, and you can make your pledge online. Next week is Commitment Sunday. Please turn in your pledge as soon as you can and help us to plan for the year ahead. Most of us are not Dorothy Day. We're just regular folks looking for a way to add some meaning and purpose and joy to everyday life. We hope to raise our children to be faithful people. We hope to find God's presence in the regular things we meet each day. We hope to live with some virtues that belong in a good eulogy and not just on a good resume. The stories that inspire me here at Knox are not the ones that amount to a tear-jerking end to a sermon, but the things that come up around here every day. Coming to Mission Possible yesterday and seeing every generation of faith working together. Witnessing volunteers who go to immense effort to help others and to serve this church. Seeing people who are hurting and grieving cared for by other members of their church who love them. Knowing that this is a place where my children are safe and happy and trusting that they will realize that as they grow and will discover their own commitments to God. Knox Presbyterian Church is not a perfect place. We never claim to be. But thankfully, it is a really good one. Let's continue to nurture God's legacy here. Amen. <laughs>